Stay true, stay real, stay righteous. What are you having to drink tonight, Chris? I'm going to have something called Liquid Truth Serum, IPA. Liquid Truth Serum? Yeah, so this is by um, a company called... That sounds fantastic. (laughs) Truth Serum. Hmm. I guess the truth comes out whenever you drink this stuff. Uh-oh. But it's made by a company called uh, Dogfish Head, which I think we've mentioned hey. them maybe once before. Yeah, Dogfish. Um, so anyway, so this sort of be interesting. Yeah. Uh, one of the things it shows on the website for this drink is that it has food pairing options. A what now? Food pairing. Really? Like what to eat with it? Right. I guess food that goes good with this type of beer. Wow. So it says teriyaki, Ooh. chicken saute. Pad Thai, stir-fried vegetables. That's Interesting. It's very specific. <laughs> and it sounds, it all sounds really good. <laughs> I even like the glass it comes in. It's kind of a strange-looking goblet. Yeah. See that? Yeah, it is, it is kind of weird. <laughs> Anyways. It's a very kingly cup. <laughs> the truth shall reveal itself, Vader. Hey, I was reading an article today. Yeah. About a guy who apparently got in some trouble because he was drive by like he was driving around with like a live hawk like a pet hawk <laughs> like, like a bird right yeah and he was flying <laughs> he was driving around and he would at times release this hawk out the side of his passenger car to go attack different animals like rabbits or other birds or something he would see on the side of the road just like randomly driving around <laughs> videotaping himself doing this but he had or like whatever. a trained hawk it was like a train hawk. Yeah, he had the he had the glove and everything you wear when you're kind of letting them perch on you and right. stuff. And he would, I guess, like let it go and it would snatch up an animal and then come back. Which I've seen that happen. Like a lot of uh, the Mongolians actually right. still practice that. I think some do. Some of the nomads still practice the, the highly hawk, effective hawk hunting. Yeah, where they actually use them to catch small animals and things. And highly actually, effective. Yeah. But anyway, so this guy was doing this, though, like in a residential area, just driving around <laughs> letting his pet hawk attack animals and stuff. But a lot of people were kind of getting upset about it and causing quite a bit of controversy because in some of the videos, he's doing it near, like, playgrounds and stuff. There's, like, little oh. kids and things, and they can actually, these birds, you know, can actually try to attack, like, small animals. Like, you know, somebody's dog was running around. It might try right. to snatch them up or even, even attack somebody's. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm not saying the guy was intentionally trying to do that, but they were basically saying, like, man, that's why you can't just let wild animals just do whatever. Like, you know, that's a... But anyways, I just thought that was kind of... Like, who who just drives around and says, for fun, I'm going to do drive-by hawkings. Well... (laughs) I'm going to release my... No, I mean, that kind of feeds into a broader subject, though. What's that? Well, it feeds into this, this idea that people hold exotic pets like that, and... I'm not a scientist, so I can't say whether it's right or wrong. The only thing I know is those animals are not domesticated like dogs and cats are. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect them to be de- domesticated right. that way. Therefore, I don't I don't own one. <laughs> Some people do, though. Some people... Right, right. The problem is, fr- from what I've generally understood, I mean, you hear these horror stories about all these crazy oh, yeah. things that happen to people. I know there's a, there's a real classic story about a woman who was actually terribly 
deformed because oh, disfigured, yeah, disfigured because she had a uh, I think it was a chimpanzee, right? Actually, like a pet that she owned, right? And I think just one day it I well, don't know it its instincts kicked in and it just went on a rampage. And these these animals you gotta understand are like really strong, like they're not right. like going up against a person. This thing is like it can kill you. I mean, literally. No, I mean like in that situation again, that's kind of one of the reasons that it it leads back to the the lack of domestication of the animal. Unlike unlike a dog or a cat. Hey, hey, every once in a while dogs get out of hand. We already know yeah. that, and we consider them domesticated. So that's the thing about animals. There's always a wild element to them. Right. And I that's always been my, my kind of the thing I always kind of scratch my head at about owning exotic pets because I'm like that to me that seems like a, a pipe bomb. Tank, or or it's always, you know, as as shocking as it becomes when an animal attack happens, or even just, you know, a dog biting a kid or whatever. Right. right. You know, people act in such shock you know and, and immediately our, our first reaction is we got to put the animal down right 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 because it's because it's the animal's fault right for just being nat- real naturally reacting its own instinct but in man's world that's an atrocity you attacked a human being the right. audacity how dare it we've got to we got to take that out of here we got to take this right. out of the world mm-hmm. i don't know it's kind of weird i mean i guess you, to me it's like if you're going to own pets of any kind you sort of have to be understanding that these are still animals i mean they are what we consider animals, right? Right, but I don't know. I, you know, they say the most dangerous animal is is man. So, yeah. Thing that I enjoy about dogs, especially, and thankfully, it's probably their most uh, their most shining quality is the fact that dogs are are fiercely loyal. Right. I mean, if you if you think about it, it's hard to find many human beings that are loyal to you. Right. They're very few and far in between. That's the thing about a dog. It's just it's it's unconditional loyalty. To me, that's what draws me to respect a dog. I don't have to make the dog fear me for me to command it. Right. As some people may feel like that's what needs to happen. Right. But it's interesting because I've even seen dogs that are abused or, or, you know, fear struck into them. Right. And yet they still have this undying loyalty. Fierce to their, loyalty. Like Fierce. It's, it's it's strange almost. But it's, right. it's why some people say, we well, don't deserve dogs because they're just too good, right? Right. Absolutely. But it kind of makes you question, you know, it goes back to that thing, what really separates us from the other animals? Well, dogs are a direct intervention from man. It's one of those, it's one of the reasons why, I don't know if we've talked about aliens a lot. Have we talked about aliens lately? I don't even know. Uh, if not it's, lately, it's but I think we have talked about time, it. <laughs> it's time to talk about aliens. we got to circle back around yeah, aliens. Yeah, because that's what, I always think, that's what I always think is so funny whenever people question the theory that, maybe we're somehow genetically modified. Right. There's some type of intervention, whether it be divine or more physical, something happened that changed us, and it was almost kind of an evolutionary change. And I'm like, dogs are a prime example of that. We are gods amongst dogs. (laughs) We literally create, they are our creation. They're literally a subspecies of a wolf. We figured out how to take one. Think about the most primitive dogs. I bet those things were animals. We were talking about you were talking about how the, or the the theory that it you know right. there was intervention in our evolution. But you know why does that theory hold some plausibility? Because you're talking about dogs or a lot of different animals, you can literally see that we've done the same thing to them, right? Absolutely. No, because you have breeds of dogs that never <laughs> that never exist until man started crossbreeding and creating their own breeds and such i just always think that's such a funny thing and 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 that's one of the hindrances that maybe we maybe we were pets one time (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe right. we were Sumerian little... script says that. Yeah, the ancient text says that we were we were enslaved and we were we were used to mine gold. That's what we were used for resources. Yeah, which makes sense. <laughs> you you, you want to know something that's funny? It says that uh, I, I believe in part of the text it talks about how um, humanity literally adopted the systems of their society through the gods. Because they use their same form of governance, and so supposedly, and that's always one of the kind of the mysterious theories behind the Sumerian Empire just springing up out of nowhere, is that there was some form of intervention from their quotation mark gods, and these gods, I mean, there's some really bizarre, Robert Sitchin, let me go ahead and give the source, I don't want, I mean, because I'll sound nuts, we actually talked about this on our our other show, and um... Robert Sitchin was someone who, who studied the language on the Sumerian stones. And they had a very complex language. If you ever look it up, it's, it's really interesting because it was made with um, like tri- triangular indentions. And I can't remember what it's called. It's actually, I believe there's other languages that exist similar to it, but it, it was just a really sophisticated language for mm-hmm. that primitive of human. But um, he was a guy who, who interpreted a lot of the text, and that was the story that he derived from it. The difference is... From the other scholars, they debate with him what it what the text actually say. He gives it a little bit more of a grounding, more of a physical grounding, mm-hmm. at, um, as opposed to something that was divine in nature. And essentially, the story, to keep it brief, is man was very primitive. We were visited by another species from a planet that had a decaying atmosphere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and by so, the way, this is a story writ- told by... In five thousand euro text, right? But but Robert Sitchin, that, that this is what he says. This, this is his interpretation. His Correct. interpretation was this, and actually, they even had a name for their planet that they came from. But supposedly, this planet had a decaying atmosphere. The inhabitants of this other planet visited Earth, used humans as a slave species to mine gold, which was a resource that would somehow repair their atmosphere, and that's what they did for and a long time. This was from ancient text yeah think about that yeah i mean it's I mean, how would they even understand things like a so, like an atmosphere well or and, a solar system i mean that's crazy. i mean there's even there's even i mean it's so dense too when you start to look in, i know it sounds like conspiracy theory material mm-hmm. i love looking at things of that nature that that are are rooted in the ancients because that's where it gets really strange Anybody can go outside and say they saw a UFO, but whenever you have these strange stone tablets that have markings on them of bizarre creatures, which many interpret as gods or religious beings, mm-hmm. whatever you know, however they're deemed, there's always some oddly striking things about a lot of these designs and these pictures. Right. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I think it's very fascinating. There's a really, a lot of the designs show things that kind of hint at otherworldly encounters, Mm -hmm. and super bizarre if you interpret them that way. So again, going back to the Sumerian text, it goes on to talk about how the aliens cohabitated with man and kind of taught them the ways of astrology and commerce and government, and hence the reason the Sumerian Empire essentially springs up out of nowhere. I think that covered everything. So, so if you follow that story, then the belief is is that, yes, there was... Well, let me ask you this. So you, you talked about how human beings were used as slave workforce. Supposedly, right. But when we were talking about earlier kind of uh, intervention, was there some sort of intervention to develop us to a point where we could be used as that? Or are you saying just 
humanoid-like early man was used for this. Well, from his interpretations, they actually lived amongst us. The gods did. Correct. They actually lived amongst us, and that's where some of the weird stuff always kind of pops in. It's always in the details, right? Yeah. And it talks about how they had machines that ran off liquid mercury that could fly. It's even said there were there were <laughs> manuals on how to fly these th- this equipment that the gods used. And even the most trusted of man would be allowed to to pilot these machines. Like, that's how deep it goes. That's what I'm saying. You don't even have to really, you don't have to believe me. You can just go look. It's really, again, this is all from a theory. So this all wraps around to one thing. So it sounds like I'm really advocating this theory, which is not the case. I'm simply saying I think it's fascinating. It's a fascinating theory that this guy studied these th- this text and derived the story from it. And, and what's also interesting about it is I believe what mainstream scholars say about it could be just as accurate. They could have just been a, a, a highly advanced version of humanity that mm-hmm. somehow, again, kind of revolves into the great mystery of we just, we evolved. We right. evolved at a very different, in a di- very different way from other creatures on this planet. And maybe that's just when it happened. Maybe we just kind of became that at one point. I, I don't know. The point I'm trying to make is it's interesting how two interpretations can be so different. And it also makes you wonder, if we can have two different interpretations about some of the oldest texts, I'm sorry, probably the oldest texts mm-hmm. known to man, and we both can heavily disagree on them, could that be applied to other ancient texts? I think it's very po- plausible. Some people already argue that, that there is more, there's a another way to look at ancient texts that... I mean, because a lot of it's already been interpreted and read, and right. there is sort of these stories and things that mm-hmm. come from it. But well, some well, people look at it as just that. It's either early man's desperate attempt to try to reaccount what was happening, and some people may say it's more like folklore. It's not It's mm-hmm. not meant to be taken literal. This is just the way they describe things. And I'm Myths. like, well, I mean, right. Keep the kids so, out of the woods. <laughs> right. right you're kind of leading back to some that would piggyback off what I was saying. But what are those things, though? You're talking about myths and and stories and things to try to explain things. But we would account for a lot of that as superstition nowadays, right? Right. Except, because it seems so fantastical to us, right? Except certain ones. Except certain right. types of beliefs. And there's there's numerous ones. I think that's the key factor in it. This guy that everybody could say is absolutely nuts, absolutely crazy, and has a completely different origin story for man is a fascinating look into a modern explanation of our origins. It's incredible. It's a fascinating thing. Frankly, it's disturbingly grounded at times. So it's one of those things that interpretation can mean very different things. It's all in how you interpret it. Yeah. (laughs) So you were telling me a little bit about sort of this new emerging thing called NFTs. Oh, yeah. So Yeah, they're really interesting. Uh, and, and the reason I bring that up is just because, uh, like, I know today alone I saw probably at least three or four articles pop up that specifically mm-hmm. made note of NFTs. Right. But I'm sure, and I'm sure I'm like a lot of people, I don't really, you know, I wasn't really sure what it meant or what it, what they are exactly, but you were kind of explaining that to me a little bit earlier. So so what is that? I mean, what is that, what's, what are NFTs and what, like, why is this a, kind of a, a thing that people are talking about right now? NFT is an acronym for non-fungible token. It's something that exists within the crypto space. It, it exists on blockchain networks and... <clears throat> 
many of them do many different things. That's one of the that's one of the biggest misconceptions about crypto as well. Cryptocurrency not only is it tradable currency that fluctuates in price just like it you know just like the stock market does, mm-hmm. but cryptocurrency a lot of a lot of these different coins, I mean you hear a lot of different names, you hear Bitcoin, um, Ethereum, Litecoin, Cardano. I mean you hear these many different types of coins, but a lot of people don't realize that those different coins all hold different what we refer to as utility, mm-hmm. and the utility essentially is the is the purpose for that coin. So, for example, Bitcoin is always compared to it's always being compared as digital gold, and the reason it's called that is because Bitcoin essentially is what gold currently is to us. It's a physical asset that holds value because we say it does. Why is gold valuable? Because it's a limited resource. It's, it's because of scarcity. Right. But what does gold do? Why is it scarce? Because there's just not a lot of yeah, it. It's just, yeah. But outside of that, it doesn't really do anything. I mean, it's a good conductor. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think it, I don't think it degrades ever. I think gold exists right. forever. But it's just, I mean, like, it has no purpose. It has no utility. And that's what cryptocurrency does that's very different. So Bitcoin is a prime example of what they would call digital gold because it doesn't really serve much of a purpose either. Mm -hmm. It's a transaction-heavy network. It's kind of expensive to trade at times. And the only real purpose that it serves is it's just a digital asset that was the first of its kind. That's that's the whole purpose of it. And if you think about it, it's digital gold because that was probably the first asset that man ever held was gold. We prized gold mm-hmm. from the from the dawn of man, and, and we hey, created. And just, and just real quick, speaking of gold, and why we value it to kind of to kind of tie into your your Sumerian stories, wasn't that the actual mineral that the god supposedly the gods were actually having as mine for was gold? Right, and that's a good question. Um, gold is actually a very scarce resource everywhere. Everywhere, like in the what we know so far of the galaxy, right? I mean... Correct. Right? Gold, Am I saying that? Yes. Gold is actually a very scarce resource in the galaxy. So therefore, it's scarcity at its finest. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really serve any value. And that's why cryptocurrency gets really interesting because not only do cryptos serve value, but they also hold some type of utility. So for example, um, one of the neater ideas that I saw... Um, Unfortunately, I, I don't think the project ended up taking off, but there was right. a project idea that these guys wanted to launch, and it was going to be an online it was an online store where you could take their cryptocurrency and buy their salsa with it. You could also just purchase it with regular mm-hmm. U.S. dollars, but it was essentially a way that they were trying to get funded. Right. So for them to launch this project and to produce the salsa on a ma- on a larger scale, they were going to need investment and. I thought it was a really interesting idea. Mm-hmm. So they came to the crypto space. And in the crypto space, they proposed this idea. And the name of their coin was called Buy the Dip. That was the name of their coin. Mm-hmm. But I just thought it was a brilliant idea. They were going to take, the, you know, and it never took off. It didn't have any luck. Um, and that was during kind of a bear market period anyway. So, it's, But people are just coming up with really inventive, innovative ways to, to work finance. Mm-hmm. It's the only place in the world, it's the only thing in the world that was created by man but isn't controlled by man. This mm-hmm. technology functions in an extremely secure way. And there are bad things that happen sometimes, but you have to understand this is very this is very primitive technology that's quickly evolving. So that's a basic idea of, of how cryptocurrency works and what it can do. Because we were explaining the idea that 
cryptocurrency can hold utility. Mm-hmm. What started out as an idea, and it's kind of everything that the cryptocurrency space stands for, it's the ability to create to take something that you believe would be worth something else to other people and allow it to be sold. Think about the person who owns the Mona Lisa, the physical Mona Lisa, or the museum that holds it. Mm-hmm. Think about whatever, whoever the entity is that, that, that retains the ownership of that painting. I mean, how much is that thing? Prices. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you know, it's probably <laughs> a couple million, you know, billions maybe, whatever. But, but I mean, literally, it's something priceless. And that's essentially what what's happening right now. People are taking things in a digital format, and they're they're doing that. That's kind of that's kind of like a, a way to conceptualize the value of something like that. To me, to me, it may sound kind of crazy to other people, um, but it was it was this really innovative new idea that kind of blew up because what started to happen was people started to get really cre- creative with it. So the obvious place that it really started to flourish was artwork. There were a lot of people who were digital artists, and it sounds kind of goofy because you would think you would think digital art. You know, but it's not tangible. I can't hold it. But but you have to see it. Like when you see it, you kind of understand. It's um. Hey, we'll have to put a link to it. I, right. There's, there's a really cool gallery. You can go look at it. NFTs you can buy, and it tells you the price of each NFT. <laughs> and what's or auction it, or something? Right. 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 It's like it, it's. And, and what I also think is cool about it is the only way that the ownership is retained of that asset is through an NFT, something that's on a blockchain one of the most secure networks in the world, and it's hard-coded that you digitally own that asset. Mm-hmm. It started with the artwork, and then it started to get incorporated. Some, some um, like a lot of artists, like music artists, got really interested by it because then they thought, what if you create NFTs that are music, mm-hmm. or music tracks that are NFTs? It's kind of a more secure way to copyright something, essentially. It's kind of what it does. Mm-hmm. It copyrights things. But the cool thing is it makes copywriting available to everybody. For anything. For anything. So one of the more interesting things that I've seen a, a, a major surgence in is video games. They're actually currently developing cryptocurrency-based video games. And these games allow you to purchase NFTs. And that can be in the form of a character or a weapon or a shield, or some dice to roll, whatever the game may be. Whatever the game may be, everything in that game is worth a certain amount. It has its own economy, its own real-world economy that can be interchanged for money, for real money. For example, in the Philippines, one of these NFT-based games that's very similar to Pokemon, Mm -hmm. it functions kind of like Pokemon. You have these, these creatures that you can collect... And they have different abilities and stuff, and it's like a you know a battle game or something. This game blew up and became wildly popular in the crypto space, and the um, the value of each of the characters at one point was like four hundred dollars a piece, and that was on the cheap end. Some of them sold for ten thousand dollars an NFT of these Pokemon monsters that can actually they had a game that it was incorporated into. You could actually buy them and use them to play the game. It's, it's, it's a really fascinating concept. Something that you won't hear a lot of people talk about is what it actually empowered certain people to do. So this game caught on and was very popular in the Philippines. Major, major success in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And the reason it was a major success in the Philippines is because a lot of kids were able to get their hands on it. And they were able to trade cryptocurrency. And as you play the game, you're able to earn 
cryptocurrency. You earn mm-hmm. tokens, just kind of like you would in like a little mobile phone game. Mm-hmm. You play a mobile game. You ever, you ever play those? The freemium yeah. is that what they're called? Sure, yeah. You know the little mobile <clears throat> games, and most of the time people people hate it because they get in there and you can get all kinds of coins, but you got to have the diamonds to do another level. And damn it, you're out of diamonds. But hey, for five dollars and ninety nine cents, you you can get a chest full of diamonds, ten thousand diamonds. Mm-hmm. It's a pay-to-play type of scenario. They're trying to get you to buy more from the game. Well, the difference in this type of setup is if you've purchased NFTs and you're playing the game, especially if you purchased them at very reasonable price levels before they got really expensive, Mm -hmm. you can start to earn this token that's worth real-world money. The reason I'm explaining that is because these kids had figured out they could do that. Many of them got very wealthy off of it. In the Philippines, yeah, a lot, lot of these kids got wealthy off of it, and actually, a lot of people started doing it. So, so just real quick, so you were talking about how there's a lot of games that are are pay to play. So this is essentially kind of like what's well, called your, a play to earn model, right? It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant technology. It incentivize it. It puts finance into games, but it puts it in a way that that you can keep making a return. Hey, to some kids, it's consistent enough to to where they don't their parents don't have to work anymore. <laughs> One of the kids bought like three houses. Man, it was outrageous. You got to remember because a lot of these trade cryptocurrencies trade against the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar. Most people know this, mm-hmm. but the U.S. dollar is very empowering to other places in this world. Cryptocurrency is essentially giving a, a freedom to them. It's giving them access. It's giving them access to the American dream. Isn't that funny? <laughs> is that a good way to put it? Yeah. We're giving the American dream to everybody. It's fascinating how this technology has revolutionized a form, has created a form of income. There's some people. Hell, I think at the height of this, at the height of this game's rise, there were people who who were able to just quit their day jobs. They're making more money yeah. playing a video game. By earning cryptocurrency and trading, swapping it out at the end of the day for a paycheck, they're making more money playing that than they were working. That's a revolution, man. It may sound crazy, but can you imagine when kids get their hands on that shit? (laughs) It's pretty wild, man. Oh, it's insane. It's such innovative ideas. That's what I respect about it. I think that's the only way we evolve is through innovation. And, And I'm a huge proponent for anything of that nature. Well, Chris, it was good having a few drinks with you, man. It always is. Thanks for letting me rant for a while. <laughs> I like learning about that stuff. Technology. Like I said, it's becoming cool. it's becoming a pretty you know pretty talked about subject. So right, look at your Venmo app. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's on Venmo now. Yeah, this is not financial this, advice. This isn't financial <laughs> advice. Please don't take please don't take this as any kind of financial advice. Yeah, do not listen to the Hamilton brothers for financial advice. But it's definitely worth look just exploring the technology to see how it works because it really is. It's something that a lot of people. A lot of people, I think, would find interesting, um, especially if you can kind of wrap your head around some of the systems and how, and how they work. Um, it truly is revolutionary, but... See where things take us. Yep. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll be... If, if, uh, if Bitcoin blows up, maybe we'll be drinking on a yacht next week. We'll be in Dubai recording <laughs> on top of some giant tower. <laughs> Driving our Lamborghinis around, yeah. right? <laughs> Chris. Hey, it's okay to dream, right? <laughs> And if you like what you heard tonight, you can listen to us on all major platforms. Or you can also follow us on our social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And as always, everybody, stay true, stay real, stay righteous.